Well, might as well get started. I'm sorry I don't have an outline, but I just got back from being at our uh, training center um, in Berlin, Germany, and uh, I just didn't have enough time to get this all together. But uh, nevertheless, here we are. I-, I like the title. Does anybody not like the title? Jesus or Freud? I, I thought it was good. My wife is not going to know. Is not going to like what I'm about to say. Which Jew do you choose? Is basically what it comes down to. Is it the Jewish uh, Jesus or is it the Freud uh, Jew? Uh, because both of them were Jewish. It's interesting that uh, Freud doesn't show up until 1800 years later. Okay, so maybe he wasn't needed. I don't know, um, or maybe Jesus didn't do enough. When he came. So that's the way to think about this. And so I know as Christians, you would certainly answer Jesus. That's where you want to be. You want to be behind the choice of Jesus as the one you follow. And so, um, but the world is telling you something different, isn't it? You hear commercials. You hear people at your work. You hear people in your neighborhood. You hear people in your family saying that uh, you need to go see a psychologist, you need to go see a therapist, you need to go do this with regards to taking care of maybe some things that are not right in your life, the way you think, the way you act. And so they tell you this is what you need to do. Uh, I mean, I watch the television and I see uh, advertisement after advertisement after advertisement for some kind of malady. Uh, Whether it be bipolar or it be depression or it be ADD or anxiety or whatever, and they're trying to sell what? Medication. Over and over and over again, you see those kinds of things. So that's the question. Do I, do I want to go psychology or do I want to go uh, Christianity? Uh, and I think we have to be careful about going psychology. Um, when some would say that modern medicine uh, is to be used and that the psychologist is the one who knows what modern medicines should be used, Um, I don't know that they quite understand that that's the right thing to do. I have a book here that um, I uh, picked up a few years ago called The Anatomy of an Epidemic. And its uh, premise is that if the psychology and the medicines that they gave out in the 1970s, 1980s really worked, shouldn't the problems be going down? But in essence, the problems are getting worse and worse, and worse, because they're not solving the problem. You and I both know what the, sol- the solving of that problem is. The solving of that problem is, is coming to know Jesus Christ, is salvation in Jesus Christ. And as our pastor just said, and I thought that was such a good introduction, and so I'm going to thank him for his introduction uh, for, t- for this message, because it just basically lays out, are you going to do it God's way? Or are you going to do it man's way? Are you going to start thinking the way man thinks? Or are you going to start thinking the way God thinks? So, 2 Peter 1.3. Why don't you open up your Bibles? You can take a look at it. 2 Peter 1.3. 2 Peter 1.3 says this, Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything. You know that's a all-inclusive word. It says everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything that you need in this life, everything that you need to become more holy, he has given to us through the 
true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. He's given it to us already. And, and frankly, folks, this is where it is. It's, it's not simple to uncover all of this, but we have to study it and we have to know it. We have to learn it. Um, but that's what we have to do. Now, Second Peter 1 4 says this, and I think this is especially noteworthy. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Promises of salvation are found in there. The promises of sanctification are found in there. The promises of glorification are found in there. And they are given to us. What do we do with them? What do we do with them? Do we accept them? Do we see them as the answer? Or do we have to go, and I I like to use this, go to take the blue pill. I think that's the pill, the color of the pill in the matrix, wasn't it? Yeah, you want to go take that pill. And I don't know that that's the answer. I really, truly don't. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world of, by lust. Now I say, why is this noteworthy? God has given you everything. Everything to live a godly life. Everything to come to know him and then to live to his glory and to his praise and to his honor. He's given it to us. And unfortunately, so many people are listening to this corrupt world. They're listening to those advertisements. They're listening to their friends. They're listening to their boss who says, you've got a problem and you need to go take care of it and you need to go see a psychologist. I've had young people come into my office because their boss has told them to go see a psychologist. And I said, I am not a psychologist. I said, I don't have those degrees. And they said, well, I could just tell them I went to see my pastor. Well, that's what they do. The the boss tells them to go take care of it. Thomas Kramer, he was in 1535, so it's a little bit before my time. He said this, if we possess the Holy Scriptures, we have at hand a remedy for every disease. If we possess the Holy Scriptures, we have a remedy for every disease, for everything. Now, folks, I don't think he was talking about your diabetes. I I don't think he was talking about those real biological diseases that you may have. And you do have them. And I understand that they're there. And when somebody comes into my office and says that, I'm I'm all shaky and I've got anxiety and this kind of thing, I say, have you seen your doctor? Please tell me, have you seen your doctor? I I haven't seen my doctor. I said, please go to your doctor and have him take a blood test to see if everything is okay. And then they come back and says, how did you know I had hyperthyroid? (laughs) I don't know. I have no clue. But that is an indication it's hyperthyroid. You don't have to go see a psychologist for that. You got to go see a real doctor. You got to say, check with them. That's what Thomas Kramer said. Now, let's be fair. The Freuds of this world, those people who are in psychology want to help people. That's why they're there. I understand that. They're good people wanting to help people, but they're not handling it the right way. That's the problem. Their solutions are they're trying to find in all the wrong places. Their solution is in a pill. Their solution isn't maybe even in therapy and, and talk therapy and discussion and all of that kind of thing. But without Christ and the gospel... What good is it going to do? When I was a teenager, I used to caddy at a golf course. And I caddied for this young man who was 
my age. And he was going to become the next club president. Okay, I mean, a, a club uh, a guy who was a cha- champion in, in there. He was a good golfer. But he and I would go play golf on Mondays together. Well, he came up to me one time and he says, Bill, uh, I just learned something at school. I said, what'd you learn? He says, it's going to help our golf game. It's called screen therapy. <laughs> I'm serious. This is what he, he went to Brown University. I mean, I just went to Iona. I mean, I had nothing to do with it. I was not a Christian. And so we got in my car and we started screaming for 15 minutes. Do you know we still shot the same score? So I guess that therapy doesn't work, you know. Maybe we'll have to go to another therapy. I couldn't talk to him for the rest of the day, but it was crazy. <clears throat> Are you laughing at me? <laughs> he was funny. He was really funny. Anyway, Thomas Kramer, by the way, was speaking of not biological diseases. He was speaking of those diseases that emanate from the heart because that's where our ailments come from that we need to deal with with regards to our sin. The ailments of loneliness, the ailments of depression, the ailments of fear, the ailments of anxiety, all of those come from the heart. When it comes to things like chemical imbalance, have you ever heard that is the possibility there's something wrong with you because you've got a chemical imbalance? I've heard that for as long as I've been a Christian, but it started 60 years ago. Do you know they haven't found the chemical yet? Wouldn't you think they'd be able to find the chemical? They can find oil. They should be able to find the chemical. But they haven't found it yet. And when I go to a, a, a series of lectures, I raise my hand, have you found the chemical yet? No. Wouldn't it be good to find it? No, that's not important. They just keep saying it's a chemical imbalance. And so I don't think that's the issue there. It's not the chemical imbalance. Let me point something else out to you. That psychologist, when you come in, doesn't have a blood test taking of you, so he doesn't have any clue what's in your blood, so he wouldn't necessarily know that you're out of balance. How does he come to his diagnoses? He looks at the behaviors. He looks at the behaviors and he says, and basically that's what the DSM-5 says, if you have these behaviors and you're doing these kinds of things, you've got a problem. Can I tell you, we all have a problem. We all have a problem. We're separated from God. And, and those who are saved are still being transformed into the image of the one who created them. So that's, what that's what's supposed to be happening. But why don't you turn to Mark chapter 7. This is what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7. He says, for from within, he means from within the heart, within the person, out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, the fornications, the thefts, the murders, the adulteries, the deeds of covenant, and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. That is where my evil comes from. That's where my sin comes from. That's where these behaviors come from. It's from within the person. It's not something that's outside. I I can't blame my mommy for it. And that's what they're doing in psychology is you blame your mommy, you blame your your daddy, you blame this one, you blame that one, you blame, um, uh, who knows, your your, uh, neighborhood. 
maybe your non-education or maybe your education, whatever it is. You blame something else. And so here we have these two different approaches. Behavior, where you get the diagnosis from, or then um, the Word of God. And, and as a believer, that's where we need to turn. That's what we need to even suggest to our friends who may not be believers that this helps people. I mean, I've, I've seen people come in with anxiety. I've seen people come in with all kinds of things, depression. I've seen them get help. I've seen them grow. Matter of fact, some of them are my counselors now. So you better watch out. There are two different approaches. Behavior which comes from within or something outside of us causes us to act oddly. Um, OCD, ADD, ODD, I don't think any of it's odd. I think that's what mankind is made up of. And those things are pictures of uh, a necessity to get it taken care of, a necessity to work on it, a necessity to grow. And so, first of all, I need to make some fundamental explanations we at Grace Community Church are actively involved in discipleship counseling. I have a number of counselors, some of which are even in this room, uh, that do help other people, that they are available to do that. But uh, there's so many folks that want to get help. And so I just want to let you know that we do have that. And we do have the Bible, obviously, that can help with those problems. What kind of problems are we helping with? Anxiety, fear, enslavements to sin, anger, depression, anything that's found in the DSM-5. I bring up the DSM-5 because that is the tool of the psychiatrist or the psychologist. That's how they diagnose their patients. Um, We do not have time to look at that, plus I don't like to look at things that are wrong. The psychiatrist and psychologist diagnose by behavior. As a matter of fact, the DSM-4, they had in there something called homosexuality. And they, they declared it, okay, an ailment. They declared it uh, something that was wrong with a person's mind. Today, in the DSM-5, they don't even see it mentioned. But today, we celebrate a whole month of it. And, and uh, for our country, we only celebrate one day. But that's what we do now. So, does the Bible, is that the place to go? And that's the question. Can that help people? Can that help people? There is a segment of the church that has brought uh, bought the idea that chemical imbalance is legitimate. I even went to one of those churches, it's not too far from here, and I sat down with their pastor who was over pastoral care, and I said to him, what do you do when somebody comes and they've got a problem with um, some life issue. And he said, well, we meet with them once and then we give them to a psychologist. And, and I said to him, well, well I, t- I got some men I know would come over here and help train your people to be able to help them. He says, oh, oh no, we're, we're busy. We're busy. Well, I don't know how busy you would be if the psychologist is taking care of it. So, But there's a seg- segment of the church that believes in that. They believe that uh, the answer to bizarre behavior or repetitive behavior in, or sinful behavior is to just send them to the psychologist. And, and that's sad, folks, that churches would do that. They integrate psychology in the Bible to produce a man-centered view um, of what is the core of man and his problems. 
the integrationists, and that's what I'm going to call them. It's not because they're integration, integrating races or anything like that, but they're integrating the Bible and psychology, trying to bring them together. Um, blends God's word in a psychological hypothesis. Let me give you an example. If a, a modern-day integrationist were to deal with David, the king of Israel, uh, you'll know the story from 2 Kings chapter 12. This is, the, this is how he would respond to it. He said, quote, the, Then the integrationist sent Nathan to David. If, a, if there was such a thing as an integrationist psychologist, he sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and he said, You were denied your feelings in your youth, and you have built up resentment towards your father and brothers. You have been victimized by this denial, and your uh, past hurts have led to a poor self-image. You go in. Uh, you should get into a twelve-step program for your sexual addiction. Nathan would then tell David that he did those things with Bathsheba because he was unconsciously responding to unhealed memories that years of therapy at eighty shekels a half hour will cure. I just I put that in there. I, I once counseled with a man who has been 15 years in therapy. Almost every week he went, paid the money, well, his company paid for him, and then he came to Grace Church, and within four weeks he said, why didn't I do this sooner? That the problem that he had was no longer there. But the, the therapist wanted him to come back next week to get the next payment, to get the next payment, to get the next payment. They're not going to solve the problem. That's what they did. So that's exactly what Freud has to offer. Freud is the father of excuses, especially of sexual sin. And so those are the things that you need to see that happens within this paradigm. Uh, David Pallison postulates that the secular psychologist consciously and purposely positions themselves as priests' equivalents. That's what the psychologist has done. They've <clears throat> made themselves priest, pastor, equivalents, that kind of thing, uh, of, the secular psycho- of the secular society. They have offered a substitute religion to deal with the heart and the soul of man. That's basically what it is. Psychology is a substitute religion. The Christian psychologist's goal is to make life more human, not more Christian. Folks, when, uh, when, when folks come into my office and they say, uh, Pastor, I, I've got a problem, I, I'm unhappy. And I say, well, you come to the wrong place. I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to make you holy. You see, that's the difference. You've got to see what is the purpose that we're doing these things. The Christian psychologist's goal is to make life more human. Let me illustrate. This is a very kind, I'm going to give you another illustration. There is this very kind, compassionate, and caring doctor that works in the emergency room, the local emergency room. He is a very sympathetic man who does not like to see people suffer. He does not like to see people in pain. So he feels um, that one more thing uh, to do is to relieve the man of pain that comes in, fellow who comes in for pain to the emergency room, let me relieve him of pain. It gives him a shot of morphine. That immediately gives relief to the pain. You may say, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, as a matter of fact, that is what I would want if I were brought into an emergency room. I'd want to get rid of my pain. The kind of action of that doctor 
has made the patient comfortable, has made him happier, but he's taken away the reason. What is the reason why he came in? What is the pain that was there? Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this would be called a criminal act in the court of law. He took away the pain, but he didn't understand what the symptom was that brought him there. It's a tragic disservice to humanity that a doctor would act that way. That man's appendix burst, by the way. That's just a story because that was the pain. He covered it up with morphine. When we do biblical counseling, we want to get to the heart of the matter. Why are you doing what you do? You've got to go to the Word of God. That's the only thing that's going to help. You uncover it through the Word of God. Look with me at um, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, And the Word of God is living. The question is, do we believe it? It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God needs to be used to figure out why is this person doing what they do. If they're angry, why do they get angry? What is it that's stimulating that person to get angry? Well, in most cases, because they don't get what they want to get. We we all know that. But there could be something else behind that. But the Word of God is going to uncover that as we use the Word of God uh, for them in the counseling room. The problem with the person was anger or anxiety or delusions or a myriad of other ailments, uh, is that a medical exam is never used. Well, this is the medical exam that we use. We use the Bible, the scriptures. But the psychologist, psychiatrist, just dispense drugs to handle the situation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer read his uh, life. Metaxas wrote this about him, quote, the most experienced, this is what Bonhoeffer said way back in the 1930s, I would say, The most experienced psychologist or observer of human nature knows infinitely less of the human heart than the simplest Christian who lives beneath the cross of Christ. The greatest psychological insight, ability, and experience cannot grasp this one thing, what sin is. What sin is. Worldly wisdom knows what distress and weakness and failure are, but it does not know the godlessness of man and it does not know that man is destroyed by sin and can be healed only by forgiveness. That's what we want to teach people. How do you ask someone else that you've sinned against for forgiveness? A lot of people don't know how to do that. They're afraid to do that because they, they don't know what that person's going to do to them. But you know, that's exactly what a Christian's supposed to do is seek forgiveness And so those are the things that we do in biblical counseling as opposed to uh, psychological counseling. William uh, Kirk Kilpatrick said this in Psychological Seduction, quote, true Christianity does not mix well with psychology. When you try to mix them, you often end up with a watered-down Christianity instead of a Christianized psychology. But the process is subtle and is rarely noticed. You just continue to do it. You continue to do it. Folks, the stakes are high. Pastors continue to 
outsource a lot of their pastoral care in churches um, to professionals, as they call them, uh, who make ungodly and inaccurate assumptions of what's going on in this man or woman's heart. Frankly, the first time that a person comes in, I can't know what's going on in a person's heart. I'm going to be asking lots and lots and lots and lots of questions. I, I want to find out who they are. Where, what church did they come from, if they came from another church? I want to find out how they were brought up. I want to find out all of those various things. That's how I'm going to be able to help them. The question then comes, if the Bible is really sufficient to man's needs, why do I need psychology? Or, if psychology is sufficient... Why do we need God or the Bible? What in the world was God thinking by giving us Jesus Christ and the Scriptures for the last 2,000 years without giving us the insights of Freud? I mean, think about it, folks. He gave us Jesus Christ, given us everything pertaining to life and godliness, and he waited for 1,800 years to give us Freud because that's basically when modern psychology got started. The root or the foundation of psychology is in the mind and, and of the unsaved. First Corinthians, you can make a note of that, uh, chapter 2, verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 7? Romans 8, verse 7. The unbelieving psychologist cannot help the believer grow in godliness. It's impossible for them to do that. They're not looking to do that. They don't even talk about God in the counseling room. But the unbelieving psychologist is not where you want to go to grow spiritually. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, it says this, Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. They don't want to listen to this. This, to them, is the enemy. They hate this. That is the psychologist. Now, the integrationist, which is a Christian and uh, supposedly Christian and uh, psychologist, they would say that they use the Bible, but they use it more um, or less at the end and the beginning of their counseling, not at the, in the middle of it. The Christian psychologist accepts and promotes the theories of unsaved men, such as Freud. These theories um, uh, of people, uh, of helping people change just a, uh, just a few, just to give you an idea. There are over 500 approaches to psychological treatment. Now, which one's true? Which one's truth? With psychologists... Truth is changeable. It changes all the time. New truths replace the old truth regularly. Remember the screen therapy? I don't think they use that anymore. Yeah, I don't think they use that anymore. New truths replace the old truth regularly. The new truth comes from another unbeliever trying to tell people how to change. And that's what they're trying to do. And again, remember, their heart is to try to help people but they keep going after the wrong thing. They're not going after the target, which is the heart of man, and trying to figure out what's in there. Um, You've probably heard this saying, that all truth is God's truth. What happens then when you have two psychologists? How do they handle a patient, the same patient? 
Do you think they would handle them the same way? My guess is they wouldn't. They would handle them in two different ways. So what does it mean to have two opposing truths? Friends, if it is truth, it must be measured against true truth as God's infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. His all-sufficient word, that's where it needs to be handled. When the uh, Christian psychologist adds these contradictory truths to God's truth, there is a profound danger, and I mean a profound danger, of replacing God's truth with error. That's what happens very often when the psychologist speaks into these issues. He's speaking an error into a person's life. This then weakens and distorts God's word. I'm going to give this one last quote here. At least I think it is the last one. Jay Adams has a few things to say. Everybody, anybody not here of Jay Adams? Okay, he's, a, he's now in heaven. Okay, so if he was to come back, we could um, believe him, but he's not going to. Uh, but Jay Adams said a few things in his little booklet. All, is all truth God's truth? He said their confidence, that is the integrationist confidence, is based upon a theory of revelation which is untenable. Many unsuspecting Christians have been lured into accepting the fallacious view that since all truth is God's truth, it is perfectly acceptable to look for God's truth in writings of unbelieving psychologists and psychiatrists. You cannot be looking in those places for truth as, as, the, as the scriptures are written. So the question is, did God lie to us? That when he said Second Peter, in 2 Peter 1.3, seeing that he has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness, or has he told us the truth? The bottom line in the psychologist's agenda is to make the patient happy. That's all they care about. And they want the patient to come back next week. That's, that's the, the two things that they're, they're trying for, is make them happy and come back next week. And again, if you come see me, I'm not going to make you happy. The psychologist openly opposes the truth of God's word by saying that God's truth is not sufficient by using ungodly theories while holding up God's word as deficient. That's what the psychologist said. Um, there's a quote here from J. Mack. I said I wasn't going to use quotes, but I am going to do another one. J. Mack, one of the basic assumptions of modern psychology is that people exist for their own satisfaction. The primary goal of life, then, is for people to have all their perceived needs and desires met. Only then will they be happy, content, and fulfilled. It's in his Philippians commentary. You see, folks, truth, real truth, true truth, is derived from the Word of God and only from the Word of God. Um, yes, two, point, uh, 2 plus 2 is, equals 4. Yes, that's true. But that's not the truth that comes out of the Scriptures. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 3. This is truth that can be depended upon. This is truth that is authoritative. This is truth that is exegeted from the scriptures of God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. Paul says this. You know what? Let's go back a little bit before that. Uh, Verse 14, you, however, continue in the things, this is Paul writing to Timothy, you, however, continue in the things which you have learned and become convinced of, knowing whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred things, the sacred writings, 
which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So he's affirming what he had heard when Timothy was a child. He heard it from uh, his mother and grandmother, Yodi and Syntyche. And, and he was taught those things when he was a child. Now, verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Folks, in biblical counseling, folks, they're going to come in and they're going to be taught. They're going to be confronted. They're going to be reproved. They're going to be corrected. But there are not a whole lot of people like to do that. Matter of fact, people get uh, a little bit ticked at me for telling them, you know, you don't have a problem. You are the problem. And think about it just a little bit. You don't have a problem. You are the problem. The way you're making your decisions, those kinds of things. You're not putting it through the, the scriptures that will be helpful for you. Verse 17, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That's what we are to be equipped for and, and, and do. Uh, John MacArthur once again says this. He said, the church's current preoccupation with psychology, for example, substitutes man-centered approaches for biblical truth in dealing with problems. The common assertion is that the Holy Spirit and God's Word deal with problems simplistically and superficially, whereas psychotherapy gets to the hidden issues and affects genuine, deep-seated healing in an uh, individual's life. But psychology's viewpoint turns the truth on its head. In reality, it is the superficial solution of spiritual needs, but the Spirit, using God's Word and prayer, provides deep, effective, and lasting Spiritual solutions to believers' difficulties. Excuse me. About five, six years ago, I had a gentleman who was in my, the counseling class. He went through all three levels. And I knew what his occupation was, but I don't know that he knew that I knew his occupation. But the last level, he wrote a paper and he said, you have ruined my life. And so I called him up and I said, since I've ruined your life, can I take you to lunch? And we went over here to Coco's. It's not even there anymore, but we went over to Coco's. And I said, so since I've ruined your life, can you tell me how I've done it? He said, I've been a clinical psychologist for 30 years. And now, being in this class, I realize why I've never helped anyone. I said, I love that honesty. I said, I can use somebody like you because he's got all of those degrees. Sometimes when we have situations where the court may order them to go under therapy or whatever, we could use someone like that. And so I wanted to gather him in as quickly as I could. He said, sorry, I'm moving to Texas. But think about that. Somebody who's been at it for 30 years now realizes why he's never, ever helped anyone. And that was because... He didn't have the Word of God. He couldn't use the Word of God. Years ago, I went to see someone that I had been counseling. He was in a lockdown situation in a hospital. And uh, I went to that hospital. And uh, I actually got to his room. They let me get to his room. And, and I said to him, you know what we need to do? We need to get on our knees and pray. We started to pray. In comes the, the psychologist or psychiatrist. You can't do that. It's going to upset him. That's exactly what he needed. 
for me to be on my knees alongside him to pray with him about the situation and the choices he had made. He had made some terrible decisions. And, and, it, and it comes out, and I, I know why he did that, because of his situation with his ex-wife, which shouldn't have been ex either. You see, if problems arise and hamper your spiritual growth as a believer, you, would you go rather go to a psychologist or the direction of the Word of God? That's the question. If there's something that's affecting you to feel lonely or to feel hatred or to feel anger uh, or anxiety, where would you want to run? Where would you want to go? The Word of God. But you know what? Most people don't know where to go in the Word of God. They, they, they feel inadequate. Well, that's why you want to come to the counseling class. That's why you want to hear that. I think anybody who has taken that class, they can attest to how that has helped them, even thinking in their um, Christian walk. And even when put in uh, this clear and contrary choice, some still believe the wisdom of the world and they want to go in that direction. Why? Because there are so many voices speaking into their life. They've been listening to it. Educational institutions have been saying it. Co-workers have been saying it. Media has been saying it. Family has been saying it. Neighbors have been saying it uh, over and over and over again. The point, they point you in the direction of the psychologist. The trusty psychologist will then reach for his or her um, DSM-5. Richard Gans wrote a book called Psychobabble. Uh, if you don't have it, I know it's been reprinted, so you can get it. Psychobabble. Richard Gans, he, he said this, clinical psychology comes to no consensus in its view of human beings, with one critical exception. It is unified in its belief that people are free from God. Aside from that exception, there are as many theories regarding human nature as there are counseling practitioners. Richard Gans uh, is a former... Um, psychologist who got saved when he was in the midst of doing that work and that's how he came to this understanding. Um, There is this book, I just want to just not highlight it but um, read something from it, The Anatomy of an Epidemic and uh, just to point out why in the world are things not getting better in the world? You see that uh, in psychology, the drug Uh, the number of drugs that are being used and the amount of drugs being used. But here's a conundrum. Given this great advance in care, we should expect that the number of disabled mentally ill in the United States on a per capita basis would have declined over the past 50 years. We should also expect that the number of disabled mentally ill on a per capita basis would have declined since the arrival in 1988 of Prozac and the other second-generation psychiatric drugs. We should see a two-step drop in disability rates. Instead, as the pharmacological revolution has unfolded, the number of disabled mentally ill in the United States has skyrocketed. Moreover, this increase in the number of disability, uh, disabled mentally ill has accelerated further since the introduction of Prozac and the other second-generation psychiatric drugs. Most disturbing of all, this modern-day plague has now spread to the nation's children. See, that's what they do with your children as well, is they give them drugs. You know, I, I don't think it's at all surprising 
that a child would say no to their parents. Do you, you think that's uh, unusual? Well, they had the yes-no syndrome now. And so that's where a child is getting his excuse because he's in the yes-no syndrome. That's why he says, no, you've got to be kidding me. Um, but that's where psychology has gone. Biblical truth is God-centered, and psychology is man-centered. Psychology is man-centered. Theocentric as opposed to anthropocentric. One is about uh, the glory of God, and the other is about the, uh, is about the self-image or self-worth of the other. You even saw that this morning when Pastor John was preaching. Uh, hopefully you hadn't taken two classes. You actually went in there. Uh, but he, when he was speaking this morning on um, uh, getting saved, that particular man who said he wanted eternal life was thinking more of his self than he was, truly, thinking of God and giving him glory. The mad dash to embrace secular psychology could be the most serious threat to biblical churches today. I don't make that indication lightly. The mad dash to embrace secular psychology could be the most serious threat to biblical churches today. I mean, I've had folks show up from other churches and start to tell me about their uh, coming to Christ and and I'm sitting there and saying that they don't even know what sanctification is. They don't even know any of those things. And how can they have come uh, to, to Christ? They don't know about confessing their sin. In addition, believers in the body of Christ should be uh, available to help others who may have spiritual needs. That is why we have that class on Tuesday. Why are, uh, are, are no truly unique problems that modern man encounters that cannot be handled by the word of life. Nothing. I believe completely thoroughly that everything that comes in my office can be solved with no problem. Now, it may not be that I solve it. I may have to send them to somebody that uh, is a financial whiz or something like that, or they may have to go to see a doctor, but that doctor is about a biological disease. I had a lady come in once, and she said, there's something wrong with my husband. What, what wife has not had that? Okay. And, and I looked at the wife and we started asking some questions and, and I said, it doesn't seem like this is a spiritual problem. And I said, why don't you go see a doctor? She so went to the doctor and found out he was early stages of Alzheimer's. I mean, you could see there's just not a... And I knew the person. There's no cognitive recognition here of, of some things. And there should have been him able to, to say some things because he's a, a, a man that I've known for years. So there's nothing. Well, somebody threw out at me once, really? You sure? What does the Bible say about schizophrenia? I said, well, that's a good question. Do you think the Bible speaks about schizophrenia? I asked that question. Are there any schizophrenics in the Bible? I, I know of two. Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, who goes around eating grass? I'm, they may smoke it, but they may not be eating it. <laughs> and so he's going around doing that. Why was that happening? It was because he was judged. Here's another one. Probably somebody that you would not think of. David was a schizophrenic. Yeah. When he's before the king of Gath, what did he start to do? Foam at the mouth. Why did he do that? 
the intent of the heart. We can look there and see the intent of the heart. He wanted to get away from him. He thought he would be killed by the king of Gath. And so he faked this um, condition. Matter of fact, the king of Gath says, please get this madman out of my sight. So there are reasons that people do those things. Jay Adams bringing up that same situation. He was working with a catatonic person once. He sat there for a half an hour just talking to the person, just talking to the person, asking him questions, asking the questions. And you know what a catatonic person, they do this. The guy finally was like, can't you just leave me alone? And went back to it. Yeah, he heard him. There was nothing wrong. He just wanted to be left alone. Just leave me alone. And so the intent of the heart is what you need to find out. Speaking of schizophrenia, I'm going to go back to Dr. Richard Gans. He relates a 1973 experiment. Now, most of you were not even born yet, okay? Not all of you. Most of you. Richard Gans and comes out of this psychological background, and he writes this book, and uh, he talks about schizophrenia. And in 1973, um, a doctor, Rosenhan, H-A-N-R-O-S-E-A-N-H-A-N, professor of psychology at Stanford University, Dr. Rosenhan, had a dozen of his friends present themselves at local hospitals for admission. All of them, when they presented themselves at local hospital, repeated these words, I feel empty, I feel hollow. Um, With that, all of them were admitted into the hospital. They then all started to act normally. They related to others as they would ordinarily. All were admitted. The length of stay in the hospital was anywhere from 7 to 52 days. Requests for release on the basis that they were normal were viewed as confirmatory signs of illness. Confirmatory signs of illness. Those who spent a portion of their hospital stay writing about their time were labeled as obsessive and compulsive because of their writing. You see, that's by looking at a person, seeing what they're doing, and that's how you judge them. He continues, he wrote this, when released, all retained the diagnosis schizophrenic with the added note in remission. Just think about this, folks. They don't know what they actually have there. If you knew what schizophrenia is, by the way, it's the shrinking of the brain. I, I don't think anybody's letting others cut open their brain to see if it's been shrinking. But that's what actually it is. He continues, uh, I, I read that. Dr. Rosenhan came to the conclusion after the experiment, quote, we have known for a long time that our diagnoses are not reliable or useful, but we nevertheless continue to use them. How can you, after you find out that what you're doing is wrong, continue to do it? It'd be like a baseball player who um, strikes out and he knows he's doing it wrong and he knows why he's doing it wrong and he continues to do it the same way. You're not going to be in the major leagues much longer. Pastor John MacArthur has written, not only do psychologists sell supposed cures for a high price, but they also invent diseases for which the cures are needed. Their marketing strategy has been effective. Invent problems or difficulties, harp on them until people think they are hopelessly afflicted, 
then peddle of remedy some of the supposed problems are pathetically trite. So that's what's happening in the psychological world. He continues, this is John MacArthur, uh, psychology is uh, no more a science than the atheistic evolutionary theory upon which it is based. Like theistic evolution, Christian psychology is an attempt to harmonize two inherently contradictory systems of thought. Modern psychology in the Bible cannot be blended without serious compromise or utter abandonment of the principle of Scripture sufficiency. And that he wrote in Our Sufficiency in Christ. That's a book that he wrote. So let's think about some things that we need to do. Turn to Colossians with me. I'm going to just give you a couple of hints here, folks. When, when Paul is giving this exhortation to the Colossians, I think he had all of us in mind. I really, really, really do. Because he knows what we need. He knows that it's the Word of God that we need. And in Colossians 1.28, Paul says this. Colossians 1.28. He says, we proclaim him. That's Jesus Christ we're proclaiming. Admonishing, that's the word nutheto uh, or nuthetic. You get nuthetic counseling. It means to admonish, means to warn. It, it means to instruct as well. Uh, we proclaim admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. That's what it's about, to, to do, find a man complete in Christ. Want to see them more like Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but from the day I was saved to now, I think my wife has seen maybe un poquito uh, of growth, you know. That's what I want her to see. Just keep growing uh, just a little bit. Um, That's what we're supposed to do because that's what God has been at work for. Verse 29, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. That's Paul giving a description of, of what he did as a pastor, as he, what he did as an evangelist, what he did as a, a shepherd. He cared about them. He says he labored for them. It says that he was striving for them. As a matter of fact, that's where we get the uh, Greek, uh, it's from the Greek word agonizomai. He agonized to see them grow. It was hard work, but he did it. When he talks to the Ephesian church, he, he says for night and day, for three years, I... I, I cried for you because he cared about them. That's what a shepherd does. He's striving according to his power, that's God's power, which mightily works within me. You see, the results spiritually and the results eternally are being done by God through Paul and his hard work. We know the Bible is comprehensive, is sufficient for all things. It's a guide. It's a um, means of discipline. Scripture guides the questions asked in the uh, in data gathering and all of those kinds of things. But here's three truths that I'd like you to take a, uh, away with you. Three truths. This, these are things that we need to understand about what the Word of God does. The first one is this. Number one, the Bible discerns desires. It gets to your heart. What are you desiring? Are, are you desiring to be pleasing to God? 2 Corinthians 5, 9. My ambition is to be pleasing to God in all that I do. Um, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.14. Um, 
5.14. The love of Christ controls us. Does that control us? Is, is that what is, is in my heart and my life? And, and, and then in verse 15, And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Is that my life? Is that my desire? Is that my kind of thinking? The problem with sin is, folks, this is the problem with sin. You're not thinking. What do we have another message here that uh, George Crawford is doing? Sin makes you stupid. Oh, that's a great title. We were talking about that in Elder's Prayer Time. I said, George, I think that title's better than uh, Jesus or Freud. Sin makes you stupid. You have to be thinking. How do you prepare yourself for that next temptation that comes, for that next disappointment that you have with somebody who doesn't show you love or respect or honor or those kinds of things? And people get ticked with that kind of stuff. And they come in my office and they're all flustered with it. And they, they want to do something about it because that person's in the body of Christ. I said, have you talked to your brother? No. Have you talked to you? He said, no. Don't you think that would be a good place to get started? How about this? Can you forgive them so they forgot you? Is it that big a deal? Is it that big a deal? Or, or can you just let love cover a multitude of sins, 1 Peter 4, 8? What do you do with those things? And, and for each of us, folks, that's a measure of who we are as a believer. Am I going to believe Christ? So the Word of God gets the desires, the thinking, the motivations. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? Some of us like to give gifts, but we give the gifts so we can get a gift back. <laughs> you know, but we, we recognized all of those kinds of things. What are the motivations? And obviously then the behavior that God wants to change. There is something there he wants to change. To be more like Jesus Christ and to be more dependent upon him. Because it's not about us. It's about him. It's about his glory. That's number one. So the Bible discerns desires, thinking, motivations, behavior. You can use Hebrews 4.12, which gets the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Number two, biblical counseling uses God's word. By the Holy Spirit, obviously, to change desires, thinking, and behavior. Now, I, I've been doing this for a lot of years. I have been frustrated at times when I've worked with people because I don't see change. Can I make them change? Let me hear no. No, I can't make them change. The Holy Spirit has to do that. So when I'm not seeing change, what am I going to believe about this person? When am I going to start thinking about this couple? What is going on here? As a matter of fact, in my early, early, early days, I think there was a, um, air travel then, um, but in my early days, uh, I went back to my, the teacher that I had for biblical counseling, and I said, I've got this couple that I've met with 40 times. 40 times. I said, they go to church on Sunday morning. They go to a fellowship group. And they even come back on Sunday evening because that's what I thought would be the dunk for there must be Christians, they must be Christians. He said, Bill, are they believers? Um, I said, Bob, I, they got to be believers. They come back on Sunday evening. <laughs> he said, Bill, are they believers? I said, well, I, I never saw any growth. So I went to the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I asked them, in your marriage, do you have these things? 
nine fruit there. Do you know how many yeses I got? Zero. Zero. Went up to the deeds of the flesh that is just before that, and you can see the strife and all of this kind of stuff, and I got yes and yes and yes and yes. And I said, the end of this verse says, and if you practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I, I don't like having to say that to somebody. I'm not their judge. But that's what I said to them. There's something going on here. You haven't grown one lick in 40 times that we've met. I met with the guy separately for breakfast and, and tried to encourage him, do this for your wife and do that for your wife. Nothing. And he looks at me after I pointed out that you know deeds of the flesh but no deeds of the spirit. And he said, Bill, all you are is a fruit picker. I, I mean, I was just shocked that he would answer like that. I would hope he would say, please, Lord, forgive me. I, I need to get into repentance. I got to do this. And I, I have no idea what else I would expect from him. But I got Bill, all you are is a fruit picker. I said, you know, it's interesting. This morning, I had my devotions in John 15. And Jesus said there, you shall know them by their fruit. So I'm confirmed this is the way to go. Where is your fruit? And that's, that's what you're going to get in biblical counseling. You're going to see those kinds of things. So biblical counseling is using God's word. Is there true salvation? And true salvation can only be produced by God. He's the one who awakens the heart. He's the one who calls a person to himself. Lewis Chafer, in his systematic theology, said this, because of the presence of the indwelling spirit, the believer cannot sin and remain indifferent to it. You see, if you're in the midst of sin and you continue to sin and you don't do anything about it, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. You, should, you want to cry out and find somebody, help me. I, I don't know how to do this. I want to change. I want to be God's kind of person, God's kind of man, God's kind of wife, uh, a woman, whatever it is. Conversion then marks the conscious beginning of the putting off of the old man and then the fleeing from sin and also putting on the new man. And that's what, what happens when you are a believer. If you sin and you keep doing it, and you know there's some people who do, pornography, anger, these are just some of the highlights. There's some other things um, that people get involved in. Stealing. Yeah. Why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? Galatians 5, 16. Turn there. There should be a conscious beginning of putting off the old man. And in Galatians 5, 16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The Holy Spirit has to be resident. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Folks, there's a battle going on in all of us. Some of it rages more than others. But there's a battle. Do I want to take care of my flesh or do I want to take care of being the man of God, the woman of God that he's called me to be? And so that's the question that we have each and every time that we run into a problem. 
Let me give you some more information here. Point number three, biblical counseling seeks the sanctification of the Christian. That's why I said about the the counseling class itself, going through that, I got to tell you, nine out of ten times, nine out of ten times, somebody writes in their summary uh, of the last paper, they write, this has been the time when I've grown the most as a believer. And, and that's because they've been challenged to think about things. They've been challenged to think about what's forgiveness. They've been th- challenged to think about what's guilt, what's sin, all of those kinds of things. We need to remember that. And then I, I always point them to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. I want them to realize that they were dead in their trespasses and sin, verse 1. But then we get to verse 10. Paul says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. What kind of good works are being produced? What happens? Good work is this. You get confronted with the word of God, and you change. You begin to do something about it. You don't let, just let it go in one ear and out the other. You just don't let it fly over your head. That proves to you that you're a believer. That's the best person to prove that you're a believer. That you do something about it. That you just don't keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. That's biblical counseling. Sanctification, like salvation and good works, were ordained before time began. So your sanctification, your doing good works, responding and changing is important. Pastor John this morning read out of Romans chapter 8. Love that chapter. Love that chapter. Romans chapter 8. Uh, and I, I want to be careful because I'm going to say a verse that could sound very cold when you say it to somebody who's got a lot of problems. And I always tell that to my counselors that you need to be careful. But Romans 8.28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. That's hard to say to somebody who's had a tragedy. But you know what? God has done it for that purpose. He's done it for the purpose of getting your attention, of you to be dependent upon Him, uh, and of you to cry out to Him. When we can go back to the Psalm, Psalm 46, Psalm 32, you go all over the place in the Psalm where David is crying out to God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Psalm 139. That is what we do. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. I've been challenged with this in my own life. Some things have happened I I would never want to happen. But you know what? I had to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you brought those. Why? To those who are called according to his purpose, verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. When Jesus Christ was on the earth, he didn't have an easy time. He was rejected. He was turned away. He was, went to the cross. All of those things. And he did it for us. He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Folks, that's what the, there's a predestined purpose to having trouble. Somebody comes in my office and they have trouble. There's a predestined purpose for having that trouble. You learn that in biblical counseling. You've learned a ton. Okay, God is doing it. Why is he doing it? 
I don't always turn to the idea that in Hebrews chapter 12 that this is his discipline of you. No, that's not, it's not always my idea that it's his discipline of you. But it's to get your attention for you to do something about what you're doing wrong. The sin that you're involved in. That's the price that we have. Predestined purpose. He's actually doing that in our Christian walk. Philippians chapter 3. Notice we're going all over the place, but some of these things are just popping into my mind. And But Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what biblical counseling wants to help people do. Press on toward the goal. You see, we short-circuit God's plan by taking the route of the psychologist who then puts us in a regimen of some kind of powerful psychotropic drugs. And I have seen, folks, that those who have taken some of those psychotropic drugs have gotten into more trouble taking them. Got a call one morning, Sunday morning. fellow tells me, I've got a knife to my throat and I'm ready to jump out of my apartment building window. Yeah, he's ready to go. I said, put the knife down. Come see me. We'll take care of it. Well, he had, because he was starting to have some anxiety, went on this drug that only made him more anxious, and now he's ready to jump out the window with his knife to his throat to make sure, even if he, he gets to the bottom, he's going to be killed. Folks, you can work through that. And I got to see him work through that, and I work with a psychiatrist to do it, to see him on medication to help Different medication, obviously. And so we're able to help him. Folks, listen to this quote. Antidepressants are supposed to work by fixing a chemical imbalance, specifically a lack of serotonin in the brain. Indeed, their supposed effectiveness is the primary evidence of the chemical imbalance theory. But analysts of the published data and the unpublished data that were hidden by the drug companies reveals that most if not all, of the benefits are due to the placebo effect. What is that? Well, they give them a placebo. They don't even give them a drug. And they say, this is going to take care of your antidepressant. You know what? They're not depressed anymore. Why? Because they receive something called hope. Hope. I don't have to be this way anymore. I don't have to do these things anymore because I now am taking this drug, and it's a sugar pill. So think about it. So why trust Jesus and not Freud? The sufficiency of God's word. Turn with me to, first, uh, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. God's word has to do with whether or not what God has to say is for us or against us. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, uh, Romans 1, 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image of, and in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures." They turned to something that wasn't God to get their answer. The answer, folks, is found in God's Word. The one thing I do know 
lost man is lost. It can only be found by God. For us who know Christ, and I'm going to believe that a lot of you do know Christ, most of you know Christ, the problems that we have has a solution. The solution is right here in God's Word. I remember when I got saved. I was able to tell my wife, because we were already married for six years, on the way to a divorce, I was able to tell my wife, you don't make me angry. I make me angry. I make me angry. You're not the problem. I'm the problem. And I took a hold of that. She can tell you, that was what I needed. But I, I'm Irish, so it's okay, right? <laughs> See, we can make excuses. And that's what people do. I mean, I've, I've had a, a German fellow in my office, and I said, you don't talk very much. He said, well, you do know I'm German, right? I went, really? But we make excuses. We want to see them transform, folks. But the transformation comes with the Word of God. By renewing their mind, that's what happens then and then only are they transformed. First, the Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm glad you folks know your Bible. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 13. And it says there in First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. The question is, do you believe? And when I'm counseling with folks, I ask them that question. I, I don't know. Do you really believe? It is. It says that here. It can do its work. Are you going to believe it? Now you have to pick yourself up and start to make it happen. And you know, there's all kinds of other scriptures. First Timothy for uh, godliness is through discipline. You know, you start to put these things together for them and help them. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter four. He says, "Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Don't have a hard heart." Make sure it's uh, able to be confronted. That's what nutheto means, nathetic. It means that you confront and you warn and you change. That's the best thing that can happen. What does happen? God gets glory. It's not about you. It's about God getting glory. But you see, unfortunately, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. We were desperately wicked. As a matter of fact, it says in Ecclesiastes 9.3, it says that the, uh, the mind of man is insane. In the New American Standard, it says that. So for counseling to be considered biblical, Scripture must be active. That must be the functional control. matter of fact, in biblical counseling, you can't even say, well, this helped me. I can say this is a suggestion, but then you have to go and do your own looking for that. Jim Owen said this in Christian Psychology's War in the 
on God's Word. He said this, Although Christian psychology claims to integrate scriptural truth with discovered scientific truth, integration is not occurring. Integration is virtually impossible. Christian psychology sets aside the historical grammatical method of interpreting scripture and replaces it with the hermeneutic centered on pathology. I hope you understand. I don't even know what time we are. Okay, we've got plenty of time. Fifteen minutes. I can take questions um, if you would like, or I can keep going. Anybody have any questions? Okay, do we have a mic? No, I don't see a mic anywhere. Um, Why don't you stand up and say it nice and loud. I'll repeat it. Oscar. That, that was not the same psychologist that he was going to. We changed to a man who said he was a Christian psychologist, actually confirmed Christian, and uh, we asked him to help because he had medications already in his body. You go off medications, folks. I'm not a doctor. You're going to have trouble. Okay? So I, I'm not taking him off immediately. I'm wanting him to go to this doctor to find out the medications he's taking so that he can have them changed. He was on the wrong medication. And what we did together, and I, I was talked to this man, I don't know, every two weeks or so, take him down, take him down. Take, the, the, the psychiatrist said, I've never done this before. Never actually happened before. Well, the, the, the man I was working with, the young man I was working with, began to look at his heart and some of the choices that he had made in life. They were wrong. They were sinful. Any other questions? Okay, we have another one. Okay, please stand up. What if the church doesn't have what? Okay, I'm going to repeat the question, then we'll get to the second one. When a couple comes to the church, not being Grace Church, another church, and that's a couple that needs help and they uh, want to get help, um, uh, and they don't have a counselor there. We do outside counseling. We have folks, unfortunately, they're on a waiting list because uh, membership has its privileges. And so we take care of the members first, but we do have a list of those waiting um, it's about a month old, and, um, but that's, that's what we have to do. So we can help them uh, because we do have counselors that can help. Yeah, well, if they're coming back to the church, certainly we apply the biblical um, guidance there. But I mean, if we're, the other church, you're talking about the other? Okay, I'm trying to put that together because I don't, didn't hear everything. But an outside church, is, let me just also let you know, we invite the pastor of that church to come in and watch the counseling. We're, we're not trying to steal people from another church. 
We're trying to help people. Um, you, you see, at the end of uh, Hebrews, we're told we're going to give an account, and that's one of the reasons. So we want to help those people, and so we, um, we have the pastor come so he can see how the counseling is done and how the counseling can help. So I think that's the question you had. Okay? Oh. Yeah, and I, again, again, I can't answer for a church that's outside California, and I, I don't know who they are for what they do with their people. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says that I will be giving an account to God for what I do as a, as a faithful pastor shepherd. And I know that there's going to be that account, but that's for here. I can't do it for uh, Twisted Twig, Ohio. So I hope you understand that. And, and yes, that's why we train people here. So when they move, <laughs> they can do counseling over there and they can do counseling over there. And so those are the things that I would suggest is you can do that. You can also go on a website, okay, Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Most, can't say all, can't guarantee, would be good to and reliable to go to, Okay. I'm going to try to condense the question, okay? Um, I want to condense that because it's being recorded. Um, uh, somebody comes in for counseling and um, at home, they're, and they're not, they're not getting along. What do they do? Okay, may I make a suggestion? If you're in the church, go see your pastor. Go see your pastor. That's what we're here for. Um, uh, we want to shepherd the flock that God has given to us. We are, again, back to Hebrews 13, 17, going to be responsible for doing that kind of shepherding. Now, what if one or the other is not a believer? I can't do anything about that. I, I mean, if, if the, the believer wants to come in and the unbeliever doesn't want to come in, we're stuck. Um, but then I can help them become the godly person they need to be in that situation. Yeah, because they, they're going to be under a lot of tension, a lot of pressure. How do I live out my Christian life in front of my unbeliever uh, spouse, man or woman? Okay? Question. Yeah, a medical doctor, a general practitioner, what's the overlap between a psychiatrist and... and um, uh, regular doctors, I, I always send people to their regular doctor. Yeah, don't, don't go to a psychologist. We actually used to have somebody who was a member of our church, who was a doctor, who would take some people that I would send to him. He would visit with them, look at what they were being told to do by their 
psychologist or whatever, and uh, he'd give them other advice, uh, um, biblical uh, and then medical advice, and he'd do it for nothing. I wish he'd come back. <laughs> I wish he'd come back, but he's gone. And so uh, he was very helpful for us uh, in solving some of those issues. Um, but uh, yeah, you want to get you want to go to a doctor that's going to take your blood and your urine, and I mean, if it's uh, bad enough to take a spinal tap. But um, um, beyond that, uh, yeah. So I don't even know if psychologists have the right to do that. I know psychiatrists do, but they don't normally. Yes. I don't. I don't think it's a good idea. I think the the question was, what about the Christian psychologist? I don't think it's a good idea to go to them, because they're going to try to take the Bible and take the world and put them together. How does oil and water mix? Doesn't do so well. How do you take truth and non-truth and bring it together? So that's why I say the the scriptures are sufficient for everything. Uh, again. That's with regards to behavior. When it comes to bi- um, uh, diabetes or um, uh, high blood pressure or those kinds of things, go see a doctor. I'm not a doctor. Question? Um, when it comes to disorders like OCD and like Tourette's where you may have like tics that you can't control, mm-hmm. like what makes that different from like a biological disease? Well, OCD is not a biological, okay? I work with somebody with OCD. Um, quite different kind of behavior, but the behavior was learned from a parent. It was, uh, it was apparent to me that it was learned from a parent. Um, and when that person had this particular issue, I went and did uh, some things that I would do habitually to see what would happen. And after the three weeks or so that I was doing them, I, I, I wanted to do it again and I tried to explain to the person that's what you have as a habit. That's why you do what you do. I'm not going to say what it is just in case that person, they still go to this church. It was all said and done. We, we got finished and that person wanted to go off their medication immediately. I said, no, go see your doctor. But it was a habit that they just began to put together that they had to do this or they had to do that and and when they did that, that made them feel better or relieved, and, but they were stuck in that every morning. Now, I mean, it's like, you know, the rest of you just turn your coffee on. They did more than that. <laughs> okay, but yeah, that's, that's more of a um, habit thing. It's not a medical um, issue. The other one was, uh, that was OCD, and what was? Tourette's. Tourette's. Yeah, I, that's a physical thing, as long as it's the physical thing. When it came to, there was a movie, What About Bob? Okay, I, I, I never, wouldn't watch that. Cursing was in there, no. But What About Bob said, um, he, he was saying words. No, no, you have to use this to say words. So that's not Tourette's syndrome. That is using your brain to say those words. What the, the tics and those kinds of things, that's your body. And again, you would see the doctor for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't get to hear uh, um, what um, Phil had to say about that. But what I have to say about depression is I think it's overblown. 
I really do. Um, maybe it's just a sadness. As a matter of fact, there's a book out, uh, Good Mood, Bad Mood, by uh, Dr. Charles Hodge, uh, that I found very, very helpful to think through. Well, maybe it's just a sad day. And I, I always pick on, please don't, please forgive me. It's like Dodger fans, you know, you're always sad because you don't win the World Series, you know. <laughs> so it, it's like that kind of a thing. Um, but it, it's the, the sadness that we feel because, you know what, I didn't get what I wanted to get. Uh, I believed I deserved this and I didn't get it, and, and so I'm sad about that. Rather than being depressed, um, I have worked with people with depression where they couldn't even come out of their home. And, and this gentleman here at Grace Church asked me to counsel with his wife. Well, I don't make house calls, especially to women in their bedroom when, when they've got depression. So I talked to her on the phone probably six, eight weeks and we began to find out what the uh, uh, heart issue was. And the heart issue was basically she couldn't believe God could forgive her of her sins. She couldn't believe it. Because they were pretty wicked sins. Yeah. But God can forgive you of any of those sins. So when she started to realize that, she was a church. She was able to break out of that depression that really wasn't a depression. It was a sense of the guilt that was there rather than um, uh, being real, okay? Now, also, with depression, I would want them to go to a doctor as well because maybe it's hypothyroidism. Hypothyroidism makes you slow down. And maybe they're thinking, oh, you know, I, I need to go. I've got depression. So there's a lot of those kinds of things that you need to check out. And uh, again, you can use a doctor to do that. But don't just assume that it is depression. Yes. So what would happen, how would you deal with a person that has childhood trauma? Well, one thing I know that all of us had trauma. Yeah, your mother didn't feed you every single time you screamed. I know she didn't. <laughs> so we've all had trauma. How we look back at that, and you know what? Your memory isn't always perfect as to what really happened back there. You know, some people remember one thing and some people remember another. I had somebody come to me and said, Bill, my sister is remembering that the two of us were abused over and over and over and over again. I'm a little bit older than her, but I don't remember this. And she was going to a Christian psychologist I said, why don't you call him up? Well, he called him up and said, this is what my sister's saying. Yeah, she's saying, but doesn't she feel better? All he cared about was that she felt better, not whether that was true or not. And that particular thing that was happening ruined the whole family. They don't even talk to one another anymore. So maybe it did happen, maybe it didn't happen. But you know what? I need to look at Philippians 3. Philippians 3, I'm not who I used to be. I hope my wife would affirm that. (laughs) Philippians 3, it says, I press on toward the gold of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I can't look back. If I get stuck on looking back, then I'm not going to be able to move forward uh, because I'm going to wonder about this or that or whatever. So I, that's the way I look at it. Um, I can't blame my, pro- my problems on my parents. 
Um, and I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And uh, there was abuse there. I would think that in today's society, they call it abuse. Back then, they didn't. <laughs> yes. The only time I've dealt with a demon, they were about six years old. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you may not tell my daughter. <laughs> um, I, you know, having those kinds of ways, I, I'm going to go back to the scripture. I'm not going to go that route to um, try to blame it on something else, a demon. My sin is mine, and so I can't blame it on something else. Um, the chemical imbalance has never been proven in 60 years of looking for it. They haven't found it. As a matter of fact, there was one theory, it was a serotonin. They actually had a study of taking the serotonin out of these brains. I think it was about 50, 60 people, and nothing happened. So it wasn't serotonin. So it... it you know, trying to blame it on that kind of thing? No. I, I need to take blame for my sin and not try to blame it on something else. Uh, I can't blame it on my economics. I can't blame it on my, my brain. I, I don't have enough intelligence. No. I've got to blame it on me because I'm, I'm wholly responsible for it. I think that's the question you're asking there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, again, we, we, matter of fact, I have in the third level of teaching the counseling class, I, I teach on demons, demons and counseling. And um, we do speak about that issue because that could very well happen. I think I did one speak to a demon on telephone. Um, bill collector, you know. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> um, there are um, there are demons in the world, okay, and we have to. That's realistic, and but I can't even blame it all on that, you know. It uh, for the believer, a, a demon can't possess me. He can he can oppress me, but he can't possess me. So um, I would take him to the, uh, Ephesians chapter six, and it says there. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That's where I got to go. I got to go back to the Lord, and then he gives us how we do that, and he gives us steps that, that come after that. But that's what I want to help the person is to think where you go. You, you get, you get um, next week we're going to do something. I'm going to give easy things as 
uh, that will offset the temptation of sin. That's what I'm going to try to do. And, um, but that's where I go. You go to there, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Uh, because it's not us. It's not us. We just got to put on the Lord. And we got to put on his word. And you know what? That's the other thing, folks. Learning the word of God and memorizing the word of God is extremely, extremely potent in whatever sin temptation you have. You know, we didn't even get to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you such as common to man. Even those kinds of things are an encouragement to the believer. But then they go, well, how do I find the way out? You've got to look for it. You've got to think about it before the temptation even comes. Because a verse before it, First uh, uh, Corinthians 10, 12, take heed lest ye fall. That's, where, that's the warning. Deal with it. Take, take heed, work on it before. So that's just some idea.